Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord, pass the ammunition. All right, so today we're going to talk about House Bill 1927, the constitutional carry bill for Texas, and what some people are calling the permitless carry bill. All right, so a lot of people getting confused by this bill, and they're thinking that constitutional carry in Texas has already passed, and it has not passed. So unfortunately... Uh, we have to wait until it gets to the governor's desk, the governor signs it, or it goes into effect on September 1st, 2019. We have to wait for that. Well, there's a process, okay? So it's a House bill, so it goes on the House side first. Uh, there are versions of the bill amendments that are added on the House side of, the, of this thing. And then once it all passes the House, which it has, it then goes to the Senate. Now, there's a companion bill, but they're sending the House bill forward instead of the Senate companion bill. So on the Senate side, now that it's on the Senate side, it has to go through all the process on the Senate side. It goes to the Senate floor. They add amendments to it there. And then if there are any discrepancies at all, now we have to either have a conference committee or it's going to have to be sent back to the House uh, you know, to figure out what they're going to do with it there. And then hopefully they'll send it back to the Senate or they'll go ahead and send it to the governor's office. So currently right now, House Bill 1927, the constitutional carry bill, has passed the Texas House. It has passed the Texas Senate. But since there are some amendments added to it on the Texas Senate, two amendments to be exact, uh, it may have caused a point of order. And what we're talking about here, uh, it may have caused some issues in the House side of things since the Senate added some amendments to it. Now, there are a couple different amendments. You know, uh, there's amendment... Give me a sec here. I had it right in front of me. And I'll come back to that. There are two. There's amendments. The second amendment, number two, and amendment number eight that actually are the issues. You know, and so we'll get into that as we get into this, get into the show here, because I want to break this down to you. I want to make sure that you all understand how this process works. Uh, it's got to pass both the House, both the Senate, and then the version, whatever goes forward, has to make it to the governor's desk. Now, currently, since there's an issue. 
with what happened on the Senate side. It has gone back to the House, and the House, here's their option. Now that it's being sent back to the House for corrections, if this bill goes to the House floor, then someone who's in opposition of this bill is going to call a point of order. If they call a point of order on this bill when it gets back to the House floor, it will kill the bill, and then it's dead. So instead of doing that, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to make the corrections on the House side and possibly send it back to the Senate or make the corrections in the conference committee and then send it to the governor's office. So those are their options right there. So um, if this does not happen, time is running out. The clock is ticking because Sine Die is at the end of this month, May, which means that once session ends, once that clock st strikes 12, then all bills that have not passed will die. And then we'll have to wait until 2023, January, and start all over again from scratch. So let me bring into the conversation Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Show. Edwin, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Well, thank you, Mike. It's always good to be with you. All right. So, Edwin, you know, can you give us a rundown of the version of the bill that actually passed in the House? So HB 1927 that went through the House. What was that version like? Well, basically what it did, kind of uh, the most simple explanation is that it uh, it created the ability of an individual who is otherwise lawful to possess a firearm, uh, the ability to possess that firearm outside of, or I'm sorry, I made the mistake that that uh, every, all, the, all the news commentators make, which makes me <laughs> so mad, um, I fell right into it myself. Handguns, we're specifically talking about handguns and only handguns. Uh, anything that this bill does, it does not affect. Uh, it does not affect firearms in general, uh, long guns, rifles, shotguns, only handguns. Okay, so uh, so what this does is it allows uh, lawful individuals, those who are lawful to possess a handgun, it allows them to possess that handgun in public places that are outside of property that they own or are the, or is under their control or their motor vehicle or their watercraft, which are the three areas where an individual is allowed to possess a handgun without a license. It expands that. And so basically it does make it the equivalent of the way Texas law treats um, uh, treats long guns. And uh, also what it does is since that, since right now we have two sets of, of prohibited places, uh, one set of prohibited places, which is off limits to all firearms, uh, and then another set of places, which are off limits to handguns carried by license holders, it actually combines all of those places into one section of the bill, section 4603, and makes all of those places off limits to uh, to all uh, firearms, long uh, <coughs> location restricted knives, uh, and clubs, mm -hmm. and so, <coughs> pardon me, that's what the bill tries to do, is basically put handguns on the same level as long guns, and then treat all prohibited places the same by putting them all in one place. Uh, it also creates a few little defenses. Um, one of the one of the defenses that is actually uh, a point of contention because it was taken out by the Senate is they would have amended, they would have added another non-applicability or defense section under 4615 that would have said that if an individual 
uh, went into one of these places that were pro that's prohibited under 4603, uh, that basically if they are given notice, given another notice, and then they depart, then they cannot be charged, mm. um, you know, with any with any crime at all. And so it's if you want to call it, give it give it a name, call it the oops. You know, I know you like to say, oops, my bad. Uh, <laughs> the my bad, Bill. That, the my bad That's version. what it was. Yes, oops, my bad. And then you're allowed to leave. So the, the Senate took that out, which was one of the, one of the, is going to be one of the big points of contention. Uh, also, what the Senate did was they added a new category of people who would be prohibited. So instead of just simply relying on the list of prohibited persons that are contained in the federal code, 18 U.S.C. 922, which would include people who've been convicted of a felony, uh, people who are fugitives from justice, people who have been adjudicated as being mentally defective, illegal aliens, uh, people who are under protective orders, people who've been convicted of misdemeanor crimes, family violence. Uh, instead of Instead of just using that list, plus the people who are prohibited under state law, which would be your felons, uh, people who are convicted of class A misdemeanor family violence cases within five years of them being convicted. Um, the, uh, the, the Senate decided to create a whole new category of people who would be prohibited from carrying. And this is very, uh, I think this is going to be the one that's obviously going to draw the point of order because it really creates it out of whole cloth. It doesn't draw it from anywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't pull it from anywhere. It doesn't make a previously existing provision of Texas law now applicable to the situation. It just creates it out of thin air. And, and it, it only applies to handguns, not long guns. Uh, so it doesn't create a list of, of prohibited persons, people who are prohibited from possessing firearms. It creates a special group of people who are just simply prohibited from carrying without a license. And this is going to be and because of the law enforcement lobbyist organization. We come back from the break. We're talking with Edwin Walker. He's a principal attorney with Texas U.S. Law Shield. We're talking about constitutional care. We're talking about permanent care. We're talking about House Bill 1927. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace, this is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back, and we're talking about House Bill 1927. We're talking about the constitutional carry bill. We're talking about permitless carry. And we're talking about, you know, the process of making it from the House to the Senate. We're talking about the different versions of this bill. Talking about the version that came out of the House and also the version that came out of the Senate. And Edwin Walker, the principal attorney with Texas U.S. Law Shield, is actually breaking this down for us. All right, so Edwin, the way I understand it, and you, you know, let me know if I'm right or wrong here. You're saying that the version that came out of the House basically... It didn't change anything as far as the requirement for, you know, anyone to carry or the requirement for anyone to, you know, get a license or anything like that. It pretty much that pretty much stayed the same, except for it. It was 21 and up. So with it being 21 and up, anyone is 21 and up, you'll be able to carry your handgun out of the house version, you know, without a license. So we kind of did we kind of screw the people over that are 18 years old? with that if in your vehicle well i think that was done as a as a consolation in which the the bill allows the people who are under 18 to still i mean pardon me under 18 18 21 to carry in their vehicle still it's just carrying outside of their vehicle they wouldn't be able they'd have to be 21 okay and i think the, the 21 year old requirement uh was put in there as as kind of a um as as basically one of the consolations to the uh, to the people who are were in full blown panic that there was not going to be a license requirement any longer, and so they said, okay, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and give you this one. We'll say it has to be twenty one and up. So yes, basically, if you're twenty one and up, you have no prohibitions against uh, owning, purchasing, possessing a firearm. Uh, then you now get to carry a handgun, like I said, pretty much just the same way you do, you have the ability to carry a rifle. And so that's what, that, that's that's the simplest way of looking at it is that it kind of equalizes those two. I'm surprised, uh, so the- I'm surprised they didn't add anything in there as far as our military. Anyone who's active duty, Texas State Guard, National Guard Reserves, you would think they would have added that in there for anyone who's 18, 19, or 20 years old to be able to carry a handgun and, and go about their day if you're in the military. Well, that still is part of the licensing. And so, you know, you look for these little nuggets. Um, I know that there's a lot of folks out there that are worried about the licensing, people ignoring the licensing procedure, people saying, I don't need the license, I can now carry my handgun. And so there are still a few little nuggets in there where people with licenses do get benefits that people without licenses uh, do not get. Uh, for example, and, and which, you know, I, I do not think this is going to kill the licensing industry. Uh, I think that they're, you know, people that once people become educated, uh, especially about what they can and can't do, uh, they will, I think, want to get the licenses. And of course, uh, there are three big uh, benefits to getting a license. Those three big benefits are, of course, if you do like to travel out of the side of the state of Texas with your handgun, uh, with a license, you retain that ability to have other states recognize your license. 
uh, states that don't have their own constitutional carry bills. Um, you know, and there's a couple of states, um, I'm trying to, maybe Iowa, South, South Dakota, North Dakota, one of them, uh, one state actually has kind of a hybrid system where they allow their own residents to constitutional carry, uh, but they do not allow non-residents to constitutional carry. And so you would still need a license that recognize, that, the, that that state recognizes. So you have your reciprocity issues, which is one of the benefits of retaining your license. You have um, a kind of a nuance in federal law that uh, you have to realize that federal law actually criminalizes the carrying of a firearm within a thousand feet of a school. And uh, one of the big, the, the biggest exception to that is that a person who holds a license from the state where the school is located uh, does not have that restriction applied to them. And so uh, you can imagine a situation where you have two equally situated parents uh, one has a Texas license to carry. The other one does not have a Texas license to carry. They are both in their SUVs. They both carry their handguns in exactly the same way. They're both in line to pick up their child at the elementary school. And the guy with the license does not commit an offense. The guy without the license is committing a federal offense. And so, um, and so you have that benefit as well. Uh, also, another big one, and I know that you're, you know, you have a lot of experience with this, being that you, you're a gun dealer, is that with a license, of course, you get to forego the background check. Still have to fill out the 4473, so 4473 itself is not the background check, but if you have a license, then you get to forego that, which... Um, you know, we oftentimes recommend to folks who uh, often get delays whenever they uh, whenever they try to purchase a uh, purchase a firearm and they don't have a license. You know, we tell them up front. We're like, look, the fastest, easiest, quickest, most effective way to uh, to to uh, to uh, work out this 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 hiccup in your background process is go get yourself a Texas license to carry. You won't have to deal with those delays in purchasing firearms anymore. Uh, there are a couple still left in the state. For example, what you just brought up, a, a member of the military who is between the ages of 18 and 21, uh, under 21, they can go get a license to carry. And they would then be allowed, they would then have the authority to carry, uh, even though they don't meet that 21-year-old threshold that's being proposed in the uh, current unlicensed carry legislation. Uh, so you have that. Also, teacher or school district employees. This is a big one. And I know that there are obviously millions and millions of, of school district employees out there. One thing that was left uh, that was not addressed by the uh, permless carry is that uh, if you if you are a school district employee and you like to carry a handgun in your vehicle for your protection, the school district, and you don't have a license, the school district retains the ability to completely discriminate against you uh, and completely forbid you from having that gun on school property, even in your light motor vehicle, where they are absolutely prohibited from taking any disciplinary actions against a license holder who chooses to keep a handgun or ammunition in their locked motor vehicle on a school parking lot. Mm. So, uh, so, so there are, there are a few, they, you know, there are a few little nuggets in there uh, where you do, you do actually have a tangible benefit for going and getting a license, which is something obviously we always encourage because, uh, uh, because like I said, you, you have that kind of, uh, you have the kind of safety net, 
you get the instruction, um, the, the instruction that comes with the LTC cores, you get the shooting test, uh, and, and I think it just makes an all-around better gun owner. Yeah. And then, so, and the way I understand it is you look at 4603, the house version, that, and I want to make sure I have this right, the house version says that everything in 4603 that was a felony now becomes a Class A misdemeanor, and it kind of lumped 4603-5 in with 4603. So is that correct? Yes. Yes. And, and like I said, the house version, one of the big, one of the big differences is the absence of, or the way that the Senate took out the, my bad kind of defense, right. uh, where you would basically, if you had carried into one of these places, uh, then you would, and, and they found out you were carrying, then you would have to, before you could be charged with anything, right. you would have to be given the opportunity to leave, which is, Really, the um, I guess what the the, the uh, House Democrats who were against it really really focused in on. Uh, that's where we had, uh, of course, uh, Ann Johnson utter the famous uh, carrying Wild West pimp style into <laughs> her bakery, where the bakery employees would be terrified to confront somebody with a gun. Um, so that person would ba- basically because the, the, the bakery employees are like special needs or something like that. Correct. Apparently, she was speaking of some bakery that only hired elderly people or people and or people with special needs and that these people would be way too intimidated to confront um, even just the most normal person who happened to be caring. Uh, Of course, she went into total hyperbole mode. Well, That's still the case right now. So if I have my license and I carry into that bakery right now, they have a 30.607 sign posted. I don't see the sign. I walk in anyway. They still would have to give me verbal notice. That's correct. And I think that they were I think that they did go full blown hyperbole mode in order to illustrate this, maybe laying the groundwork for something in the future. Because keep in mind, um, the Democrats still believe that Texas is in play and that they can flip the state blue. And I guarantee, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to engage in scare tactics, but I do deal in reality. Uh, I live in the real world that if they, if the Democrats succeed in flipping Texas blue, uh, everything that all the gun rights that we have acquired in the last 10 years will absolutely a hundred percent be on the chopping block the first legislative session that the Democrats take control. And then, and I want to make sure I understand this. So 46 and 3 places weapons are prohibited under the the House version. If you carry in a school instead of a or in a school, instead of it being a felony carrying inside, inside the school, it would be a class A misdemeanor under that version. So that means yeah. that, you know, if you know there's a school shooting, something's going on inside the school, instead of it being a felony if I take my gun inside to stop that shooter. Now it's only a class A misdemeanor. So, yes. and I want to remind and, and, people that, you know, you kind of want to think about that because, you know, do you, remember, police are still responding. So you don't want to be in that school and police actually respond within two or three minutes and you end up, you know, looking like you're the threat. But go ahead, Edwin. Correct. Uh, that, that's always the biggie. And that's why uh, anytime you are, you, you would be unfortunate enough to find yourself in an, in an in a, um, uh, active shooter situation. As soon as you see a police officer, you should realize that they will be given a lot of deference as to, you know, they, they, they will not be required to figure out who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. So absolutely, as soon as you see them, uh, holster your gun, drop your gun, show them your hands. Um, don't, 
pretend like you're now somehow you know part of their posse that's going to help hunt down the active shooter. Right, we're talking with it's Edwin Walker, pistol attorney with Texas U.S. Law Shield, talking about House Bill 1927. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Chloe on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so you're listening to the break there, and you're listening on the radio show uh, over the airways there. You heard there was a shooting in Colorado uh, on Facebook. Let me give you an update. So apparently six people were killed at a Colorado Springs birthday party, and the suspected shooter is also dead. So this happened in Colorado Springs early Sunday morning this morning. The suspect shooter believed to be a boyfriend of one of the victims is also dead, police said. Now, Colorado Springs police received a call about a shooting just before 1220 a.m. Officers responded to the Canterbury Mobile Home Park uh, where they found six dead adults along with seven persons who were injured and later died at a local hospital. Police believe the suspect drove to the home where a birthday party was being held and opened fire before killing himself. And no children were injured in the shooting. Also, last weekend, we had our election day in Austin. And on the ballot there, one of the key key things on the ballot was the camping, no camping, you know, taking care of the homeless situation that Austin is seeing. Also, you know, we're seeing this around a lot of different cities. We see this in New York. We see this in California where... They re- go ahead and, and actually kind of relax the laws as far as camping and allowing people to sit and lie just anywhere. And so since this was removed in Austin uh, back in 2019, we see this kind of grow and we see the numbers grow and more people have moved here and more people are actually homeless and more people are sitting in line. Because let me remind you, 
We actually have hotels that the city of Austin is leasing, renting, owning, whatever, where they actually have people living in these hotels. There are about four, three to four hotels that are along I-35 corridor currently right now that are housing people in these hotels. Plus, you have the people that are now have filled their spots along the Interstate 35 and has filled their spots along, you know, the uh, our town lake and filled their spots along Highway 71. So it seems like as we move people into housing, get them into hotels, more people fill those spots. And it seems to be growing and things are getting dirty and people are concerned about the, you know, the just the health and welfare. You know, we're, you know, people always talk about, you know, what about uh, nature? What about mother nature? What about taking care of the planet? Uh, But, you know, look at this home, you know, the different homeless camps and it's definitely causing an issue. So let's go to Taylor. Taylor is downtown Austin outside the Austin City Hall currently right now, where ever since the. Uh, the election last Saturday, a group of people are protesting outside Austin City Hall because they're protesting because they lost the, uh, you know, <laughs> that their, you know, side of the debate for that and uh, what we had on the ballot there. Taylor, what's going on downtown Austin there outside um, City Hall? Uh, hello. We have about 42 tents kind of wrapping the uh, entirety of City Hall, which is the only place that had the audience that didn't allow people to camp in. Um, but they're here. They're peacefully protesting. There hasn't been any problems here. Um, it's mostly made up of people who are homeless from other camps who have kind of came here to show solidarity to the activists who set it up. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah. And so, so their and, demands are, ha- now, um, to I'm have cu- the house, ta- everybody. What was that? Now, Taylor, I'm curious, you know, who are the people that put this, you know, this group together here? Are these people that are actually um, homeless or are these people that actually are? The, pe- the people initially set it, uh, initially set it up was called Little Petal Alliance. They are a mutual aid group that um, has been helping getting people housed for the last couple months. They kind of rose to like a little bit of fame when they started helping a lot of people get hotels and permanent housing after the um, the winter storm we had. And um, now, as a um, former protest, they set up all these camps and had several demands, and one of them being um, housing for all and we're moving and uh, rolling back the vote on Prop B as well. Okay, and so um, have you talked to any of the people that are down there that that are actually you know camping out and protesting? Yes, I have. All right, and so does anybody close by you right now can give us an idea? Um, they're you know. pre- they're preparing for a demonstration. They're going to march at like in an hour right now. Um, so they won't. They're not being able to talk to me because they're like okay. setting and painting banners right now. Okay, so they're going to march from the city hall going to what, the Capitol? Um, they have not defined what direction they're going to go. Okay, do they have any demands? Um, yes, they want the rollback of Proposition B, and they want housing for all. And what about the fact? Well, what about the fact that the people have spoken? You know, the election has been held, and they lost the election because a lot of people signed a petition to put this measure on the ballot. And now they mm-hmm. voted for it. It has passed. So now what? This is true, and this is why they're uh, protesting like this, by um, encircling and encamping around um, City Hall. And so once this um, election has been certified, then it's, they're going to have to go. Yes, people are a bit worried about what's going to happen on the 11th. But um, so far, people who work at City Council have been nice. They've been like setting them up, allowing them to camp here, setting up little areas for them to be a little bit safer. And, um, yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, just uh, well, just so you know, there are a lot of businesses around Austin that are having a very hard time finding employees to work. Uh, they actually are begging people to apply uh, so they can, you know, so they can because they have work for them. And a lot of businesses are having to change their hours and reduce their hours because yeah. they can't find employees. Uh, so, you know, I would encourage them to actually go and apply for a job at one of these businesses that are having a hard time finding employees. Okay. Just let them know. I say, let them know. Michael Cargill told you so. <laughs> yeah, reference, right? There you go. Exactly. All right. All right, man. I tell you what, Taylor. Thank you very much. Send us some pictures. Um, uh, text me some pictures so that way we can get those up and and show people like what's going on down there. So we have a a, a framework. We can see what's happening. Okay, and keep us up to date. Let us know when you guys start moving. Yes, I'll call you. Goodbye. Hey, thanks, sir. All right, so that was Taylor. He's downtown Austin, Austin City Hall. There's a protest going on downtown Austin right now. They get ready to march from downtown Austin to around Austin somewhere. They haven't said where they're going to go yet. Uh, to, and they're protesting Proposition B, the you know the no sitting, no lying anymore. We're going to impose this camping ban, go back to where it was prior to 2019, and say, hey, you know what? You know, stop sitting and lying. You know, take responsibility for your own actions and get a job. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go back to talking about constitutional carry and also permitless carry and talk about that. We'll talk with Edwin Walker, principal attorney with Texas U.S. Law Shield. All right, so Edwin, we were talking about, you know, House Bill. Actually, you know what, Edwin? I don't know if you you got my message there. I want to talk about Senate Bill 513. Did you get that message? Um, also, I just want to address a couple of other sure. things yes, sir. the Senate did with regard to, the, with regard to, to House Bill 1927. Uh, there were two amendments that were made that were accepted. They were uh, in the House um, for folks who had followed that. It was obviously a you know it was a is day long process. Is this the House so, side or the Senate side? The House side. Okay. Okay. In which the House uh, adopted two amendments that were proposed by uh, Democratic reps, uh, Democratic Rep Sophronia Thompson and Democratic Rep Harold Dutton, uh, proposed two very reasonable acceptable um and actually kind of like i think you could view them as as necessities uh necessary amendments to 1927 that were adopted so they were bipartisan they were accepted by the entire house uh one was the one from sephronia thompson uh would have allowed it would have amended the expunction statute to allow people who had previously been convicted of unlawful carry to then have that conviction expunged off of their uh, off the record, uh, the thinking being, of course, why are you going to continue to punish somebody or have this this blot on their record uh, if they got you know convicted of UCW 10, 15, 20 years ago? So, and now so let me it's let, totally so, legal. so let me ask. I want to make sure because uh, some people thought, and we I got a lot of phone calls from people last week or week before last where they thought that constitutional carry had actually passed. So they actually were walking around carrying their handgun, and they actually got charged with a class A misdemeanor, unlawfully carrying a weapon. So those people there that got charged with this crime, you're saying that there's a possibility they can get that expunged from their record once constitutional carry actually passes. Well, that was under the House version. Under the House version. Uh, the other amendment, uh, which was by Representative Harold Dutton, uh, basically clarified uh, that now, now, right now, you can argue that it's already part of the law that the police are not allowed to stop anybody unless they have reasonable suspicion that they violated the law. Right now, the police can stop folks who are carrying a handgun under the belief 
that they have a, a reasonable suspicion that they're carrying in violation of uh, 4602, that they're unlawfully carrying until the person provides their license, or maybe they have another non-applicability defense under 46.15. Uh, uh, and then, of course, once the, if that's eliminated, then they no longer have that reasonable suspicion. But the amendment by Harold Dutton basically clarified it, put it into the statute that the police would need more than just the simple observation of an individual carrying a handgun in order to stop that person and begin an investigatory detention. And the Senate took both of those amendments out. So the Senate pulled out both uh, Representative Thompson's expunction provision and Representative Dutton's, uh, we like to call it the stop and frisk right. uh, provision. The, Dutton, the, um, the famous Dutton Amendment, because he made a famous speech about this a few sessions back, and we've actually had him on the show right. a couple times to talk about this. And this is you know, basically the stop and frisk. You're right. You know, so you're saying that that amendment, what it did was it said, hey, police would not be able to stop and frisk you, stop and check you, just because they can see a partially or a whole visibly gun, visible gun. Correct. And so the Senate pulled both of those out. Um, so that may be another, you know, that that's definitely going to be another sticking point between the reconciling the Senate version and the House version. Right. Uh, so so just in and I, summary, and I think those those are important because those, you know, if you're talking about police reform, if you're, you know, this entire last year, 2020, you know, there are protests, riots all around the country and people are talking about law enforcement and police reform. You know, if you're going to talk about that, then those are two very important amendments that need to be in this bill. So that way, you know, certain people don't have to worry about, you know, walking outside the door, carrying a handgun and being harassed, stopped and having that interaction with law enforcement. If you remove those amendments from the bill, you know, and then you you add the portion of gang members, which is what they did. You know, we still stayed with gang members in the bill. That means and gang members, I'm sorry for whoever I make mad, but gang members is cold word for a black person. You know, then, you know, that gives that interaction to, you know, to law enforcement. Now the officers have a reason to stop you. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I, I completely agree with you that those two amendments were necessary. I, I did think it was unfortunate that the Senate pulled those out. Maybe it was calculated. Maybe they thought, uh, you know, because uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes politics. There's, you know, with any type of legislation, there's some cloak and dagger. There's some reverse psychology. There's some, you know, Game of Thrones stuff going on behind the scenes. And so who knows what the actual strategy is. But but that's one of the biggies. And so kind of if you want to have a kind of a summary of the difference between the House version and the Senate version, your big differences are that they pulled out the uh, Representative Thompson's amendment. They pulled out Representative Dutton's amendment. They removed the uh, the the oops, my bad defense. Um, and m most importantly, like I said, they created this new category, this brand new category of people who would not be allowed to carry a handgun, even though they would not be prohibited under federal law and they would not be prohibited under state law from possessing, from owning, purchasing and possessing a firearm. But the, they would be prohibited from carrying, and those individuals would be people who had been convicted of a misdemeanor offense. Okay, now that, that's important because if you're convicted of a felony, then you're excluded, even if it's a nonviolent felony like forgery or insurance fraud or something like that. If you, these, this new category of individuals who would be prohibited from carrying, 
like I said, not purchasing, not possessing, you know, otherwise in their home, uh, but would be prohibited from carrying would be individuals who had been convicted of uh, class A assault, which is just simply assault causing bodily injury, not related to family issues. Just if you got to a bar fight and you got convicted, you'd be convicted of assault bodily injury class A. People convicted of assault, people convicted of deadly misdemeanor deadly conduct, because there are two. There's a felony deadly conduct and a misdemeanor conduct deadly conduct. All right, we come back. I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that and and go in detail with that. So I want to make sure people understand that because nothing changes with felonies. Um, but, you know, I want people to understand what you're saying right there. We're talking with Edwin Walker, principal attorney with Texas U.S. Law Show. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about the constitutional carry bill, talking about House Bill 1927, what some people call in the permitless carry bill. And Edwin was explaining to us the Class A version of this. So go back, Edwin. Can Can you start it over again? Okay, so one of the things that the Senate added that was not in the House version, the House version 1927, so the there was a Senate floor amendment that was adopted that would have created a brand new category of people who would be prohibited from carrying their handguns. So, uh, so like I said, under the House version, you had two qualifications. As long as you were over uh, 21 years of age or older, and you were not pro- a prohibited person, uh, pro- a person prohibited from purchasing and possessing firearms, either under federal or state law, then you could carry a handgun uh, without having a license. The Senate added another qualification to that by creating out of whole cloth this disqualification of individuals who had been convicted of misdemeanor assault bodily injury that is not a crime of family violence. So if it was a misdemeanor crime of family violence, then they're prohibited already. This would be a misdemeanor assault that is not a crime of family violence, a misdemeanor conviction for deadly conduct, which basically involves, you know, pointing a gun at someone, uh, but yet not rising to the level of being felony conduct, uh, but is considered deadly conduct, uh, terroristic threat, as well as the two types of uh, the two types of disorderly conduct. Uh, that involve uh, that involve firearms. Number one, discharging a firearm in a public place uh, that is not a roadway or a short uh, sports shooting uh, area, and uh, the other di- the other disorderly conduct of uh, displaying a firearm in a manner calculated to alarm. Uh, actually, any deadly weapon, including a firearm, in a manner calculated to alarm in a public place. Uh, so added those as disqualifiers for five years uh, that you would not be able to carry. And so that's one of the um, 
like I said, it's it's it, it's a brand new provision. They didn't carry it over from anywhere. I guess they were attempting to kind of cull something out of one of the license requirements because that is one of the license requirements. Uh, only it's a bit more expansive than that as far as being a license requirement or just a license disqualification. Uh, and I think it would be impossible to enforce. Uh, now, obviously, you can imagine a scenario where if that were to become the law with this five-year disqualification, plus the elimination of the Dutton Amendment, it kind of opens the door for the police just to go around randomly stopping people that they see carrying handguns and saying, hey, I want to run your I want to run your background. I want to see if you fall into one of these five categories of misdemeanors that, that disqualifies you from having the ability to carry. So that that is quite unnecessary, quite onerous. And I think that, that the, those are going to be your biggest battle areas in trying to reconcile the Senate version versus the House version. Now, have you, uh, have you talked to anybody on what are some of the options going forward now, like where we are now? What do we do? I, I, I don't have any information about any of that. I'm you know, just on the outside looking in, uh, just like everybody else. And, and uh, you're right. Whenever you opened up the show and explained to your listeners about the complicated process that still lies ahead. Right. And so this is far from a done deal. It is, it's got to go to the House to be reconciled in the event that it can't. Then there'll be a committee of House members and Senate members that will attempt to hammer out a compromise. Uh, and then that compromise has to be acceptable to both the House and the Senate uh, before it could pass. And it all has to be done within three weeks because right. in three weeks it'll be march it'll be may 31st and, uh, yeah as as we've said before uh when the texas legislature ends when the clock strikes midnight everything that didn't pass turns back into a pumpkin and goes back to the pumpkin patch to wait until january 2023 yeah. and 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 i look i'm looking at social media and i look at the questions that people ask you know, and once this is all said and done, you're basically going to have to come back to a class and take a class to understand what in the world just happened. <laughs> you know, that, and that's the thing about it is, is that, is that, is that I know that there's a lot of instructors that are, that are very worried about it. And there's a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of the debate on the floor was, well, these people don't have training. They don't have training. Um, and while it is true that there is no requirement for training, uh, I think that it does provide a great opportunity uh, for instructors to get out there and really you know, beat the bushes and explain to people yes. what a great, uh, you know, what a great option it is to to have that training, because you're absolutely right. If you, uh, you know, just with the level of what you've seen of people thinking that this is already legal, uh, there's a lot of education that needs to be done for folks. And, yes. and you know, they, they absolutely should contact, you know, contact you, contact their local LT instructor, uh, get in there, learn the law. Um, and, and know what they're allowed to do and not do because it's, and that's, that's why I kind of prefer the term permitless carry rather than constitutional carry, because certainly constitutional carry, uh, it doesn't really tell you anything. It just sort of, it would lead, lead people to believe that there are no restrictions anymore. And that's one of, the, I, I think that the Democrats in a lot of their debate, uh, they, they were clearly wrong. They were talking about stuff that just simply wasn't true. They were engaged in a lot of hyperbole. They were attempting to try to say that this is going to affect the ability of people to actually acquire firearms, which it absolutely does no, not in any way. Yeah, that's not even close to and, true. And 
Correct. And, and so I think that the term constitutional carry, while a great term in and of itself, I think kind of lends itself to saying, well, if it's constitutional carry, then there are no limits whatsoever. Uh, permitless carry just simply says, look, we recognize there still are limits. There are rules. The only thing that we're doing is we're saying that you don't, we're not going to require, the state is no longer going to require a permit to carry a handgun in places you're allowed to carry a handgun, but there's still going to be a lot of places where you're not allowed to carry a handgun. Right. And then, you know, and, and we really, you know, it's, you're talking about Vermont carry, you know, Vermont carry, uh, which is real constitutional carry, you know, you can own any, anyone that steps foot in Vermont, whether you're a resident or not, you'll be able to carry a handgun or a lung gun. And that is true constitutional carry. When you look at a lot of different states across these, these United States, they don't have that. You know, some states, a lot of states have it to where you are resident. If you're a resident of that state, then you can carry your handgun and it may be concealed carry only. You know, so it, it's different. They really do not. A lot of states do not have constitutional carry. You know, as it, you know, what you're talking about, Edwin. Yeah. You know, one thing that obviously I hope passes, uh, regardless, it is part of the it is part of the permitless carry bill. But it also is part of a few other separate bills standing on its own is that uh, we there is an opportunity to finally get rid of uh, the ridiculous qualification that an open carried holster has to be either a belt shoulder or sh a belt holster or shoulder holster. Yeah. Which, of yeah. course, of course, which, of course, has caused people fits yes. ever since 2015. Um, so that is in the permitless carry bill constitutional carry bill, however you want to call it. Uh, but it also is the subject of a couple of standalone bills as well. So maybe maybe that is, regardless of what happens with permitless carry, maybe that is something that can uh, be a positive achievement for this legislative session. Absolutely, because this is Mother's Day, and I like to wish all the mothers out there a happy Mother's Day. I like to wish my mother a happy Mother's Day who brought this person, this person right here, Michael Cargill, to this world. So definitely happy Mother's Day because without that young lady right there, I would not be here today. So definitely thank my mother for me being here. I know some people will hate that, <laughs> but I love my mother. Thank you very much. And happy Mother's Day to my mother and everybody's mother out there. Definitely happy Mother's Day because I tell you what, you know, thanks to the ladies of this world, you know, it, it, we, it would not be a great place. It would not be the great United States without the mothers out there. So thank you very much. Without you, man, I tell you, my hat goes off to you. You've dealt with a lot. So thank you, mothers out there. You've done a wonderful job raising all of us. As always, this is Michael Cargill. You are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So, man, I tell you, there's a lot going on around the country right now. We got that shooting that's happening in Colorado. It's just crazy. Um, you know, and, and trailer parks scare me because the walls are so thin. You know, they're so thin. You, you got to be, a, you know, aware of what's going on. Uh, those bullets go straight through that. You know, that it's just plywood. It's not even plywood. It's really thin. It's like paper. 
you know, very thin. So, man, you just have to be careful. And there's a shooting that happened in Colorado right now. Six people are, are killed in that incident. Also, I want to talk about downtown Austin, city of Austin. Man, you got people that are protesting downtown Austin right now. And they're letting people know they're upset because the election didn't go their way. You know, and that's what elections are for. You have to, you know, whether it's the presidential election, you know, people are upset because, you know, Trump lost that election. But you, you, what you have to do is once the election is over, you have to get your cars together, you know, and, and wait four years or two years or whatever it is for the next election and try again. You know, whether it's the president, whether it's the governor, whether it's the mayor, it doesn't matter. Once you lose, the ballots have been, have been counted. We need to move on, and, and you have to try again in four, two years, or whatever it is. That's, that's, how, that's how it works. Uh, all right, so I want to go back to talk about this uh, permitless carry or constitutional carry. And I, I, don't, I want to mention again, I want to get into we – didn't, we didn't get into it, but I want to talk about uh, Senate Bill 513. Uh, that's relating to the enforcement of certain federal laws regulating firearms and firearm accessories and firearm ammunition within the state of Texas, creating an, a criminal offense. So I want to talk about that. And the way this bill's written, it, it just says basically just that, you know, relating to the enforcement of certain federal laws reg- regulating firearms. Uh, but this bill was there were some changes made to this bill. This bill actually went to the Senate. And in the Senate, there were some amendments. There was an amendment added to it, uh, which changed this bill. And the way I understand it, and I want to ask Edwin about this because I'm not sure. The way I understand this bill is if this bill goes forward, which is now going to the House and it's been referred to the State Affairs Committee. If this bill goes forward, then that means that now our local law enforcement, you know, can act, you know, if they're acting you know, or working with a federal task force. That means that if someone is within a thousand feet of a school, that may now that means now your local law enforcement can actually arrest that person for being within a thousand feet of a school with having any weapons at all, unless they have a license to carry a handgun. What do you think, Edwin? Okay. Well, well, I mean, I'm. I know that's a lot. What amendment specifically are you talking about? All right. So Senate Bill five thirteen, and. We'll come back to it because I want to give you time. I, I didn't. I didn't prep you ahead of time, you know, before doing this. Uh, it's going to be one FA one hall. Take a look at that one. Okay. Back. I mean, how long could you just read it to me? I mean, I that that's, I haven't basically with the you know with the the, the declaring Texas being declared sanctuary Second Amendment sanctuary. Um, you know that I don't. I don't really know what sort of things were added to the Senate bill um, that is now going to be considered by the House. So what it says is uh, this is an amendment uh, to 513 in an added section of 40.03 penal code in page two between lines 62 and 63 by inserting the following. It is an exception to the application of subsection H that the person is a local or state law enforcement officer who as a member of a federal task force or of a joint task force consisting of local or state law enforcement officers and federal law enforcement officers enforces or attempts to enforce a federal statute, order, rule, or regulating described by subsection B. Okay, and what were those described in subsection B? Ooh, now that I have to pull up. Well, that's going to that's gonna be the key. <laughs> in which, 
that so this so with regard to the the sanctuary bill the mm-hmm. the, the the sanctuary state bill um, there was actually you know a bit of a crossover with regard to the discussions or at least the Senate debate between the permitless carry bill and the and the the Second Amendment sanctuary bill uh, because there the Democrats who were arguing against the permitless carry uh, they were trying to say that. Uh, due to the sanctuary state uh, bill that uh, none of the federal prohibitions then would even apply to the folks who could carry, uh, which of course is not true. And so just like the, you know, I think that, that what the, and then the, one of the Republicans stood up and made a clarification and said, no, this only affects new legislation going forward, doesn't affect any of the old stuff, old federal laws that currently exist. What the Democrats were trying to argue was how can you say that somebody who's prohibited under federal law would not be allowed to carry if you just also passed a law that said state law enforcement officials can't enforce federal law. So, for example, you know, one of the prohibitions is uh, somebody who is dishonorably discharged from the military. So if you've been dishonorably discharged from the military, you can't possess a firearm. I don't know how many people realize that, but that's one of the federal prohibitions. That's not a state prohibition. So under state law, you're not prohibited from carrying a, from having a firearm. If you've been dishonorably discharged, you are prohibited under federal law. Therefore, you would not be allowed to carry under any of the permitless carry. So the argument was, well, if you've just told the state police officers that they can't enforce federal law, then how are they going to be able to arrest somebody for violating 4602, the new 4602, uh, because they've been dishonorably discharged. And, um, and like I said, it was clarified that, uh, that no, all of the, all the current federal laws are unaffected by the sanctuary state and the sanctuary state uh, legislation basically is looking forward to prohibit uh, the state or state actors from assisting the federal government in enforcing anything that is new uh, that we're look that that of course the federal government is is thinking about or attempting or uh, that may be imposed by executive orders such as the ban on stabilizing braces or the uh, you know the if it ultimately comes to it the quote unquote assault weapons ban or the ban on high capacity magazines uh, or any other federal law that may be coming out in the future. That that's what the bill. That's what the that's what the sexual the Second Amendment sanctuary state legislation is aimed at. Not current federal laws. Not the enforcement of current federal laws by state uh, state police officers, but the enforcement of any future federal laws. Okay. All right. And I'm still looking for this subsection described by subsection B. The entity described. Uh, no person employed by otherwise under direction or control. Okay. Hold on a sec here. I'm almost there. This is going to take me a minute to find. This is what happens when I teach a license carry handgun course on Mother's Day before the radio show, and I don't do my homework. Yeah, let's go. We're going to do a little break here, and I'll come back from the break, and we'll look at this. Uh, I'm going to look at the actual bill, Senate Bill 513, and look at the actual uh, wording of the bill there, Edwin, and then take a look at this. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It.
1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking about Senate Bill 513. We're talking about the sanctuary bill uh, that has already passed the Senate. It's, gone, it's making its way to the House and to be voted on by the House. And like I said, we only have a few more weeks before session ends, before Sine die. So the Senate Bill uh, 513, um, basically what that section talks about, it says uh, uh, an entity described by subsection may not adopt a rule, order, ordinance, or policy under which the entity enforces or by the consistent action allows the enforcement of a federal statute, order, rule, or regulation enacted on or after January 1, 2021, that purports to regulate a firearm, a firearm accessory, or a firearm ammunition of a statute, order, rule, or regulation, imposes or prohibition, restriction, or other regulation, such as a capacity or size limitation, a registration requirement, or a background check that does not exist under the laws of this state. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to add this amendment in there that says that it is an exception to the application under this section, that the person is a local or state law enforcement officer who as a member of a federal task force or a joint task force consists of local or state law enforcement officers or federal law enforcement officers enforces or attempts to enforce federal statute, order, rule, or regulation subscribed by subsection B. Now, there was a case here in Austin where a police officer, an Austin police officer, was actually working a bank robbery uh, investigation. And the guy walked into the bank to either cash a check or counterfeit money or did something. He walked into the bank to do some type of transaction. He noticed that the police officer was you know, inside the bank, so he backed out and he ran. The officer saw this guy running, chased this guy down. It's a very popular case here in Austin. Ended up shooting this guy in the back. And the officer, the Austin police officer, got off the case, uh, got out of uh, being convicted because he had been participating in a federal task force. And since he was participating in a federal task force, he was exempt from the prosecution you know, because of that case. Um, and so that's why he ended up getting off. And I, this went, I believe this went, you know, on an appeal. And he, he won that case on the appeal. I don't know if you're familiar with any of that stuff, Edwin. But uh, do, I don't know if you had a chance to look at this 513. You want to talk about it. We'll talk about it another time. But I do want to bring this up and look at this because as these two bills go forward, the constitutional carry bill or permitless carry bill and the Senate Bill 513, if this stuff goes forward, then that means that, hey, you know, anyone that's within a thousand feet of a school, you don't have your license to carry handgun uh, and you're within a thousand feet of a school, then that means that, hey, even a local law enforcement officer can stop you, detain you and hit you with that felony, you know, because under the federal law. In the, well, and that, but that's that's the status quo. And so that, that's what the, the main part of the bill is, as I explained earlier. Right. Um, all the federal laws that currently exist, which, you know, currently the federal gun-free school zone uh, law that is found in <clears throat> that is found in 18 U.S.C. 922 uh, is a law that existed before January 1st, 2021. And uh, clearly what is the philosophy behind the state sanctuary law or proposed law is that the state is okay, if you want to use that word, that the state has accepted that the federal government has passed certain laws that affect firearms, the ability of people to have firearms, the ability of people to carry firearms in place. And so they've accepted that. So they're saying, look, we're not trying to turn back the clock and we're not saying, but 
we have we believe that we have the, the state of Texas believes that we have reached the limit of acceptable common sense gun control on the federal level that we have all the common sense gun laws we need. We don't need any more common sense gun laws. Um, as you see, I really take a very derisive <laughs> attitude. Um, we don't need any more common sense gun laws and that any gun laws proposed or passed by the any gun laws or regulations put in place by the federal government after January 1st, 2021, the state will not participate in the enforcement of those laws. Um, so that, you know, I know that there is a lot of state you know, federal joint task force uh, that, that like to go do things. Basically what they're saying is, look, federal government, if you're telling Texans that they cannot have a magazine that holds more than 10 rounds, if you're telling Texans that they cannot have a semi-automatic rifle just simply because it has a pistol grip or a barrel shroud or a telescoping stock, uh, any one of those, if you're telling Texas that, then you're on your own to enforce that. We're not going to help you. Mm. Mm. All right. And then let's see. There's some questions out there. Make sure we get to all these questions here. All right. So um, as an, Johnny Camarillo says, as an LTC holder, law enforcement would know if they pulled up behind me and ran my plates and that I have a valid LTC. Uh, would they try to implement something so that law enforcement would know by running a license plate that a person is constitutionally carrying? Well, that's all part of uh, police investigations. And while uh, license plates are tied to a vehicle and a vehicle is tied to an owner, that's not necessarily the same thing as the driver. Uh, a lot of people own vehicles through trusts or as a uh, business or through a partnership or or, or whatnot. And so uh, for a police officer, I don't think that the police officer could use as uh, probable cause or reasonable suspicion. For example, let's say that uh, they were able to run a plate. It came back that that plate was uh, registered to a man named Joe Smith, and they looked in the... Uh, into the the TCIC uh, database, and they found that there were 50 Joe Smiths uh, that were convicted felons. I don't think that that would give that would that I th I do not think that would give reasonable suspicion to just stop that car and hassle the individual, believing that it was one of these Joe Smiths that is on the uh, TCIC uh, record as having been a felon. So uh, I don't believe, usually the, the plate recognition stuff is done now mostly for offenses that involve the car, uh, you know, deciding whether or not a car is stolen, whether or not it's actually paid its registration fees, uh, things like that. So I don't, I, I don't know that they can make that leap that, uh, that, that the car is registered to someone who shouldn't have a gun. Therefore, we're going to stop them under the assumption that they're illegally carrying a gun in their car. Okay. And then, Edwin, one more time, give us a recap of that Senate version, the version that we have right now with the permitless carry or the constitutional carry. Okay. Well, it's basically the, the same as the House version, which gives a, gives a person who's 21 years of age or older and lawfully has the ability to possess firearms the ability to carry the ability to carry a handgun 
outside of the area of property that they own or are in control of, outside of their motor vehicle, outside of their watercraft. It would then allow them to do that. Uh, it keeps in place uh, the ability of a private property owner to exclude handguns uh, or other any other firearm uh, under the criminal trespass statute, the general criminal trespass statute for 30.05. But as a bonus to people who have licenses, uh, the private property owner would still have to comply for license holders uh, with the 30-06 for concealed carry, 30-07 for open carry of handguns. It would, allow those. it would also keep all of the prohibited places that currently exist under 4603, 46035. It would combine those into a 4603. What the Senate bill did that the House bill did not is the Senate bill removed the uh, Thompson Amendment, which would have allowed people who have been previously convicted of UCW to have their record expunged. They removed the Dutton Amendment, which would have clarified that police do not have reasonable suspicion to stop somebody just because they see that individual carrying a handgun. Uh, it would it imposed a brand new category of individuals who would be prohibited from carrying handguns, even though they were not be prohibited under federal or state law from actually owning handguns or having them in their home, uh, would create the, this category of people who can't carry. Um, it also removes a very, very important defense, uh, which we call the my bad defense, uh, which would basically allow people who inadvertently, accidentally, unknowingly took their handguns into uh, private property or a prohibited location, a statutorily prohibited location, uh, a defense that they left uh, upon given a warning that they weren't supposed to be there. That's no longer there. Um, so there are, there are some significant changes. Uh, there are enough changes that the House will have to reconcile those changes. Uh, if they cannot agree, then they'll have to go to conference and try to hammer out some agreement with the, uh, the House version versus the Senate version. Okay, so under this new version, a version from the Senate, if um, if I did not have my license and I walked into a school, what would be the punishment? If you did not have a license and you walked into a school with carrying, a handgun, carrying a handgun, carrying a handgun, the, the punishment I believe would be a class A misdemeanor on this on the Senate version. Okay, yep. and then what if I walked into a bar? I walked into a bar. I did not have a license and I was carrying my handgun. Uh, what would be the punishment? I believe it's still a class A misdemeanor. Okay. And now if I had my LTC and I walked into a business, a private business, not, a, not necessarily a bar, just any private business, and I carried my LTC and I walked into the business, they would have to do what to make sure that I know that I had notice? Well, they'd have to still comply with the original notice or the, the current notice provisions that are in 30.06, 30.07, which is means that they can either tell you personally with a verbal warning, hey, no guns here, uh, or give you a written warning with the specific 30.06-30.07 language, uh, or have their sign put up, uh, and then they still would have to, you know, tell you again. Otherwise, it's just a Class C misdemeanor with a $200 fine. Which, interestingly enough, um, in response to kind of that, that is one of the little nuance differences between the House version and the Senate version, is that in the House version, with regard to unlicensed individuals who went on to private property, uh, they could be notified in any fashion. They could be notified by no guns. They could be notified by a gun buster sign. 
that they weren't allowed to carry. Uh, but the Senate actually made that more difficult. So after all the complaining about Wildwood carrying Wild West pimp style and the the people who are afraid to go confront people with guns, uh, the Senate bill actually created kind of a 30-06, 30-07-ish written warning uh, that would that would be used in 30.05 cases, in which 30.05 cases would be people who, you know, if a property owner specifically wanted to prohibit or create a no trespassing, uh, no, no trespassing condition on their property specific to firearms. Now, obviously, if you're just a general no, pre- no trespassing, I don't want people anywhere. If it's a general no pressing, it still can be done through the five different ways that you can do it under the statute. But if it was specific just to guns, they would then have to basically create a sign like the, uh, we'd have to start calling it the 30.05 sign. Uh, that says that, you know, if you're carrying a handgun, you're not allowed on these premises. Printed in both English and Spanish uh, with one-inch block letters. So uh, for those anti-gun folks who complained about uh, the size and the encumbrances of 30-06, 30-07 signs, uh, now there would be an additional 30.05 sign that they would have to complain about. Wow. i tell you what. Now, thank you, Edwin. Principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Show. Edwin always lays it out for us so we understand it. And so keep in mind, this bill has not passed, you know, both chambers. It has to complete the process of both chambers, be sent to the governor's office for it to be signed, and then wait until it goes to an effect in September of 2021. If that all happens... Whether the governor signs it or not, it goes to his desk. He decides not to sign it. It goes into effect September 21st, unless he vetoes it. If he signs it, then it goes into effect September the 1st, 2021. So once that happens, then constitutional carry, you know, you can do it. Until then, let's wait. Nothing has passed. It has not done. The process is not over. Thank you, Edwin. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.